I'll miss that song. It's a really, really cool song. So John Foreman from Switchfoot, any, any, maybe you get hurt for it. It's really haunting and different. And if you let those lyrics really sink in and kind of search you out there, there's a lot of thought went into that song. Anyway, it fit perfectly with this series. In fact, it was the launch of the series. And uh, we've dealt with week to week with this one question. I wonder if it's good with me or good for me. We've looked at six different areas, or today will be the sixth area of our life. And uh, each week we started with a certain introductory thought. The thought is this. That behind asking this question, I wonder if it's good for me, my concern has also been that people get a sufficient image of God. Because unfortunately, people fill places like this Sunday in and Sunday out, and they have a very deficient image of God. They think that he's this being that's just kind of detached, and if you can figure out what it takes to appease him, then, then that's all it's about. You know? So you've got to figure out, does he want me to attend places like this, and then maybe he's okay, and he'll bless me and make good things happen for me. Or maybe I need to believe certain things, and then he'll bless me and make good things happen for me. Or maybe I need to light some candles or repeat some prayers or go on a pilgrimage or give some money. But we have this notion that God is this sort of big, unintelligent being that you do certain weird religious things, and he's like, oh, now I'm happy, and I'm going to pour out blessing on you. And yet, nothing like that is what we see revealed in Scripture. The God that is revealed in Scripture is loving, intelligent, understandable, and he loves in a comprehensive, infinite way. We are finite. We we don't know what's good for us. He knows what's good for us, wants what's good for us. And what he wants for us is not to be religious, but to live in an actual, experiential, day-to-day relationship with himself. You were created by Christ and for Christ, the scripture says, and apart from him, your life will never hold together or cohere. I was made, you were made to live trusting in Christ, learning his way, his word, his will, letting it mold me, shape me. That's when I become fully human and fully alive. Not this notion that I just do a religious thing here and there to do my duty to God. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like, well, I went to church this Sunday. I I made sure I did my duty. I did my spiritual duty to God. How many of you ever heard people say things like that? Oh, yeah. It, It makes God look so stupid and small. But more importantly, that's not the God that's revealed himself to us in Scripture. So behind this notion of I wonder if it's good for me, the premise is that this loving, intelligent, beautiful God has revealed what is actually good for us and he waits for us to trust him enough and absorb it into our lives, internalize it into our lives so that we can experience it for ourselves. All right, each week we've also used this as kind of a launch pad. Not everything that initially seems good to me is ultimately, what does it say? Good for me. I mean, I I experiment with some things. You experiment with some things. Some things look really good. They look really pleasurable. It it looks like it's a win for us. And then we get into it and we find, oh, boy, that was not really good for me ultimately. So we are finite. We don't know what's good for us. We sometimes think things are good for us that turn out to be ultimately very bad for us. The second part that I've shared each week is this. When I knowingly or when I live knowingly or unknowingly in accord with my design... It's good for me. Here's the key to what is good for me. Living in accord with my design, even if I don't know what my design is. I mean, we we can put this to the test. We've done it in other weeks uh, physiologically. You know, that, that I need, whether I know it or not, I need to breathe air. I need to drink water. I need to eat food. I need to sleep. I need to move. And when I do that, it's good for me. 
if I don't do that, it's not good for me. Do I have any choice in that? No, it's the way I'm designed. And when we say, well, but that's just a small part of our life, the physiological part. What about everything about us, who we are? We're complex beings, Randy. Well, the scripture gives us a very clear answer. In Genesis 1, 27, the very first book of the Bible, it says that God made us in his own image. You are designed, I am designed to be a being inwardly like God. What is God like inwardly? He is love-driven. He is righteous. He is holy. He is good. He is tender. He is merciful. He is gentle. He is compassionate. He is kind. He is honest. And you see, that's who you really are. That's who I really am or who we're meant to be. And so when we live accord with our design, it's good for us. It doesn't mean that things are always going to go smooth for us, but it is ultimately good for us, whether we know what our design is or not. I want you to get this because we, we have this notion in churches, I don't know where this stuff got started, but it's this notion that God is just this arbitrary being and just because he's all powerful, he kind of makes up some rules and he just says, I want you to do this and I want you to do that and I want you to don't do this. No, all of his principles are based on his perfect love and perfect knowledge of what is good for us ultimately and even eternally. He's very understandable, very trustworthy and when you get that, when you let that sink in your heart, you, your level of experience with God will jump leaps and bounds. And he becomes not this mystical, strange, impossible to understand being that you're always trying to appease or guess in some way, but a being that becomes truly a loving father more so than anything we've experienced in this earth. All right, today we come to the subject, last one in the series. I wonder if these decisions, these choices, these, these changes are good for me. Decisions. Uh, each and every day of our life, uh, I, I don't know who's back on the soundboard, but can you give me just a tad more volume? I feel like I'm going in and out the signal. Um, each and every day of our life, we make hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions. Now, most of them are inconsequential. You know, it's like, uh, what will I wear this morning? What kind of creamer will I use in my coffee? You know, things like that. They don't very much matter. But there are levels of decisions that can have you know, long-term uh, impact on our lives. For example, we have to make decisions like, okay, as a young person, who are we going to gravitate toward? What crowd are we going to hang with? And that can have long-term impact. Then we decide, okay, what kind of a, a vocation, tr vocational training am I going to get? Am I going to go to college or am I going to get into trade or whatever it is that's going to have long-term impact? We have those large decisions like, you know, am I going to buy a car, a house, Am I going to get married? If I get married, who am I going to marry? If I marry, am I going to have children? Am I going to have one or two or six like one of their families on the stage? You know, so there's all these decisions. Some are really big decisions and they have long-term impact. Some are very small. But this is the wonderful thing. God has made us in his image and so you have this divine capacity to make decisions, you're, you're free, you're really free. God made it so the very best gift that God could give was to create a being that could experience life on the same level that he himself experienced it. That's what he's given to us as human beings. That's what he gave to the angels too. And part of that is this, this ability to decide, to choose. And we make these choices all the time and a lot of times we learn by trial and error that choice, that decision was good, that one was not good. And when I say good, I mean good for me. I don't mean that necessarily we got what we wanted because sometimes how many of you know you get what you want only to find later on you don't want what you got. How many know that experience in life, right? So if something's good for us or not, remember, it's good for us if it's in accord with our design and with God's intention and purpose for our existence. All right. Uh, 
we're going to ask two questions and try to frame everything we're going to learn today about a decision-making process around these two questions. Now, I'm going to just say something at the beginning. I'll probably repeat it a time or two. There's way too much information in this message. It is a teaching-oriented kind of a message. You're not going to be able to take it all in. You're going to have information overload. I strongly suggest for you that care, for you that find this valuable at all, take it in now. And then watch it again online. Maybe take some notes and things like that when you watch it online because it's, it's way too much information and I'm going to have to go very fast through a lot of it. All right. So the question we'll first ask is this. When we're trying to get a decision-making uh, sort of a, a plan in place, we need to ask, how does this fit with my God-given identity and calling? If someone were to ask you, do you know your God-given identity and calling, would you be able to answer that? All right, it takes into consideration several parts. I'm going to put these together. Don't worry, you're going to see it all in, in a visual in a bit. But I'm going to break into some of the parts to get us started. So let's look at one verse just to kind of get ourselves moving now toward this. But we're asking the question, you know, how does this fit with my God-given identity and calling? Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus he says to those that have made a decision. Now, you've got to understand, this is, this is written to people that are followers of Christ, to Christians. They've made the decision to put their trust in Christ and become his follower. That is what makes one a Christian. It doesn't matter what you believe. What do you mean, Rand? Of course it matters what you believe. Not necessarily. It matters who you're following. And everybody's following somebody. We're either following ourselves or some other philosopher or philosophy or religious figure. Or we have actually put our trust in Christ. And the evidence, the only evidence, the only trustworthy proof that we've really put our trust in Christ is we are actually following him. We are actually letting his word, his will, his ways shape and mold and direct our lives. That is the only thing you dare trust. That's real faith. That brings what God calls the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. When you make a decision, when I make a decision, I made my decision when I was 23 years old to put my trust in Christ and become his follower. And what that meant was I chose to freely follow him. And I wanted to follow him fully. Everything that he told me to stop, I was going to stop. Everything he said to learn to do, I was going to do. I followed him fully. I followed him freely. And I made my decision. I'm going to follow him forever because he changes not. He's utter, utterly trustworthy. He created the universe. He's that intelligent. And he loved me enough in spite of my sinfulness. He loved me enough to die on the cross for me. So I made my decision, decision, to put my trust in Christ and become his follower. Have you made your decision are you a follower of christ because that's who this verse is written to these people are followers of christ so it's after you become a follower of christ this clicks in god has made us what we are in christ jesus god made us new people so that we would spend our lives doing the what kind of things good things he had already planned for us to do let this sink in God had a plan for you to do some good things. They're unique to you. Nobody else can do them, only you. You're perfectly fit. You may feel like, oh, I, I don't have many abilities. I don't have many talents. I don't have much, much equipment. You have a set of good things that you alone can do, and God planned in advance for you to do them. After you've trusted in Christ, as you and I start to do those good things, this allows God to start to mold and shape our lives and help us develop to become that Christ-like person he always destined us to be. We, we've shared in other messages that God's purpose for your life is to become who you were meant to become. You were meant to become, Scripture says, and I was meant to become, Scripture says, a Christ-like version of myself. My unique identity, your unique identity, but 
Christ-like. And we were meant to do certain things that we just read about that God intended us to do. i got to have that in place as part of my core identity or I'm not going to have a good system for making decisions. All right? So let's start in that place. It's a guy named uh, David Brooks had an interesting quote about uh, these commencement addresses, you know, when students graduate, whether it be high school or college or something like that. And uh, let me just share it with you because it's, it's kind of thought-provoking. He said, commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their, what is the word? How many of you are so sick of that word you could just gag? I'm, I'm telling you, man. I, we just, as a society, we pick a word or two and wear them out. But we know what it means. Commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their passions. Be true to yourself. This is a vision of life that begins with who? Self. And ends with who? Self. But people on the road to character growth do not find their vocations by asking, what do I want from life? They ask, what is life asking of me? How can I match my intrinsic talent with one of the world's deepest needs? Don't think too globally or too big because that deepest need might be right in your household. And that might be your God-given mission. Don't try to be other than what God has made you to be other than in personal character development and growth. All right, let's go on. I'm going to share some passages with you, and we're going to go kind of rapidly. Like I said, don't worry if you can't take all this in now. Watch the message again. It'll, it'll be worth it for some of you at least. Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Corinth, he said this. He says, nevertheless, as the Lord is a sign, notice this, a sign to each one, as God has called each person, and he's, he's calling your assignment in life and calling as one and the same, so he must live. I give this sort of direction in all the churches. What was he talking about? If you read the verses that go before and after it, he's talking about people in the church of Corinth that were asking Paul. They said, look, look, I, I, I'm single, Paul, and, but now I'm a follower of Christ. Should I get married? And others were saying, well, well Paul, I'm, I'm married now. Should, should I stay married or should I get divorced? Some were saying, well, I'm married, but my spouse is not a follower of Christ. Should I divorce him or her? Others were saying, well, look, I'm a, I'm a slave. You know, in Roman Empire, almost everybody was a slave. Should I try to break free? What should I do? And Paul was saying to them, don't think that your, your circumstances are some sort of a uh, limitation to God's desire and ability to work in your life. He wants to work through who exactly you are. Your past, your present. It doesn't mean you can't change some circumstances, but you don't need to change these core circumstances to be useful to God. So Paul is kind of saying... Take a look at your, your native experience in life, who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who you are because that's going to help you to make decisions if you know who God's called you to be. He's called us all to be different people. He's given us all a different set of abilities and gifts and talents. Uh, yours, yours are not mine. Mine are not yours. Okay, let's go and look at another principle really quickly. 1 Corinthians 12. Now, we're going to take you into a different realm now. This is only for those, listen carefully, this is only for those that have become Christians, that have put their trust in Christ and become his followers. When you put your trust in Christ and become his follower, God, the Holy Spirit, chooses to give to each of his followers uh, something called spiritual gifts. They are capacities or abilities to expand the kingdom of God, to build the church of God, to serve Christ and to serve others. They are supernatural. They are not talents. They're not natural talents. Natural talents are one thing. These spiritual gifts are something else. All right, let me, let me go on. To each person, no, no, no. To each person, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the benefit of who? So you, if you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift or gifts, 
and it is for the benefit of all, the body of Christ. Just a little thought. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Have you ever discovered it? If you've discovered it, have you developed it? Because they all need to be developed. If you've discovered it and developed it, have you deployed it in a ministry, in service somewhere? Because that's what God intends us to do with these spiritual gifts. Romans 12 adds to this. Paul writing to followers of Christ in Rome. He says, and we have what kind of gifts? Different. Your gifts are not mine. Mine are not yours. We're not supposed to be the same. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 11 says distinctly that God the Holy Spirit decides what gift or gifts you have, what gift or gifts I have. We don't ask for them. There's no one model fits all. God chooses what gift or gifts we have. There are some people in Christian circles that say that we should all have uh, the same kind of gift, you know, to show that we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's nonsense. It's heretical. It's not taught in Scripture. Others say that we should ask for certain gifts from God. No. The Bible, if you just read it and let it say what it says, it says that God chooses. He knew what he was doing. He's going to give you a certain gift or gifts, me a certain set of gifts, and so forth. But these gifts are God-given supernatural capacities to expand the kingdom of God, build the church, serve God, serve others. All right. Let's... Uh, Let's put this all together now because remember, we started asking the question, how does this fit with my God-given identity and calling? My decisions, if I know my God-given identity and calling, which is a mixture of these things we looked at, we'll be able to make better decisions. So let's, let's look at this first part. Um, excuse me, experiences is another part. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our, what? troubles so that we may be able to what comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God now this is an interesting verse because what it's saying is is that that when we are in trouble God wants to comfort us whether we know it or not and he will if we turn to him but it says that he comforts us so that we then come through the experience, we're different people, and then we can get beside other people who are going through the same experience, and we know how to comfort them. So this adds another component to my core identity and calling. What have I experienced in life? What kind of learnings do I have? Uh, maybe I'm uniquely qualified to come beside some parent that's uh, got a willful child or something like that. Maybe I'm uniquely qualified to come into the life of somebody that's, that's just been given a, uh, a diagnosis of cancer or something like that. Th these experiences in life qualify us to minister, to, to serve into the life of somebody else, part of our core identity. Your experience is not mine, mine are not yours. Okay, now let me put it all together for you. Core identity components. And again, this is why I urge you, rewatch this online, write some notes, because there's too much information for one time. Natural capacities and spiritual capacities. Your natural capacities, first of all, you, you have a temperament type. You may be introvert, extrovert. You, you may be, you know, a very melancholic sort of a person, very sullen and serious. You may be happy-go-lucky, sanguine. You have a certain temperament type. It's okay. There's no right or wrong, but you, you need to know what it is. For example, if you're an introvert and you, you're about to make a decision on a job and the job requires you to talk to people all day long, that's probably not a good decision, you know? You're, you you, you want to be in something that allows you to be more task-oriented. Talents. You know, some of us can sing, some of us can dance, some of us can draw, some of us can write, some of us can do just basic, you know, mechanical things. There's all different kinds of talents that you may or may not have. Some people like me don't feel like they have any talent at all. That's okay. Uh, I tie my shoes pretty good. Uh, <laughs> passion. There it is again. But, but, but the word does have good 
connotation. Okay, look, what the word passion, the notion I'm trying to get across here is that there's something uniquely to you that you just love doing. You don't know why even. You, you can't explain it. In other words, there's some of us, you just love to help people out. You love to work with your hands and build something and see it completed and see people blessed by it. You don't know why. You just love it. Every time you hear somebody say, oh, I could use some help with that, you're like, yes, indeed, I'm, I'm there. Others, you just want to like hold babies all the time. So, you know, you just can't wait to get in the nursery and have babies throw up on you and stuff. You just, oh, this is so sweet. I, I'm so blessed when this happens. Yeah, you know, you don't even care. Somebody said, my passion is to work with, with teenagers or, or whatever it might be, or the homeless. Okay, so we, we don't know why, but this is part of our core identity and calling. Experience, we already touched on that. You know, you've gone through some experiences in life. Those experiences, you need to kind of assess them and figure out how you might use them to comfort, to help somebody that is going through a similar experience. That, that, that's a kind of a training lab that God has taken you through. And then we add this other one, spiritual gifts. Now, I'm going to go really fast and talk about spiritual gifts with you. If you are a Christian, remember, you have been given at least one, if not a couple, spiritual gifts. These divine capacities to expand the kingdom of God, to build the church of Christ, to serve God, to serve others. Okay, here's, here we go. Here's one list. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10, these are spiritual gifts that are obviously supernatural. Like, if you've got one of these, you don't need anybody to tell you, whoo, this is supernatural. All right, here's the list in, in these verses. Healing. If I lay my hands on you and instantly your blindness is healed, I think I know I've got the gift of healing. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I need anybody to tell me. I know it. Miracles. If I can take a loaf of bread and feed 5,000 people, I think I know I've got that gift. Okay, miracles. Prophecy. Prophecy is God is speaking directly to someone and then they are speaking out what he says. I think if God is speaking to me, I think I'm going to know that, although there are a lot of people who think God's speaking to them, and he's not saying anything, okay, really. But you know what I'm trying to say, the, the proper gift. Discernment of spirits. This is a supernatural gift where you can, you can just sense and know when demonic activity is going on. Languages, usually called tongues, but it's languages and interpretation of languages. It's like this. It's like you're sitting here now. You can just barely, you're like me. You can just barely speak English. How many of you are with me? You can just barely speak English. But all of a sudden, you can fluently speak Mandarin Chinese. You don't even know what you're saying, but somebody else that's in the room that's from, you know, China, they're like, dude, you're speaking perfect Mandarin. How are we? Do you know what you just said? No, I don't know what I said. It's just that this thing came over me and I did it. That's what that gift is. Do you think you'd know it if you had that? Let me tell you something. I've been around Christianity for 44 years. I've never seen anybody exhibit that gift. We got churches full of people that go every Sunday. They're not talking any language. Nobody knows what they're saying. And that's not the gift. It's something that's psychologically induced, okay? This is real languages that they didn't know. And then the ability to interpret. Somebody else pops up and says, man, I don't know in Mandarin, but you just said this in Mandarin, and they give the interpretation. Those are obviously supernatural gifts. Let me ask you this. Do churches to grow, to reach others for Christ, to build those that are reached up, to teach them the truth about God and the truth about life and how to become Christ-like people, are those gifts necessary? Can I have this slide back? Do we need healing, miraculous healings? Do we need miracles? Do we need prophecy? Do we need a sermon of spiritual language? The truth is, 
We don't, and we haven't had them in any credible way since the apostolic age when God was laying the foundation of the church to give credibility to the ones that were the writers of the New Testament. It says in Hebrews 2, 4, he gave these supernatural gifts. There are pockets of believers through the ages that have made claims of these things. They generally turn out to be ridiculous and spurious. Randy, are you saying that God can't do healings and miracles and prophecy and all these things? He can do anything he wants. He's God. I'm just telling you historically now, it's been about a pretty good 19 year stretch since the apostolic age where those particular gifts are not functioning because the foundation of the church has been laid we have the bible in its entirety there's no need to show the credibility that that you know the apostles are the apostles and so forth paul talked about the signs of an apostle now there's a second set of gifts let me show you those these come from the book of romans chapter 12 verse 7 and 8 the gift of serving in the book of first corinthians 12 that same gift is called the gift of helps how, how, many of you, how many of you think you have the ability to serve or help somebody in some way? You, you, you could do something, man. I, I don't know what it is. You know, somebody spills their milk, you could clean it up. How many could clean some milk? <laughs> compare that, compare that to healing somebody and opening their blind eyes. Not very flashy cleaning the, the milk, is it? Not very flashy at all. How many would rather have the gift of healing you lay hands on people and they get instantly healed of other diseases compared to the gift of helps. How many would go with healing? But how many know the gift of helps is what builds churches, lives, families? Here's something to think about. When the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who would be the greatest, five days before Jesus was going to the cross, they were arguing who would be the greatest. Jesus catches it. And he says, greatest? He said, he that would be the greatest among you let him become, can you finish it for me? The servant, the servant of all. He said, greatest, the greatest among you will be the one who serves all. See, God, God looks at things very differently than we do. We tend to look at the flashy, the trashy, the things that grab our attention. And God says, no, 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 roll up your sleeves. Show me your heart. So here's that list again. You might have the gift of serving or helps. We need much more of those than we need some of these other gifts. Teaching, that's pretty obvious. Encouraging, some people just have a God-given gift to do it. Giving, we all give, but some people have a supernatural gift to give with extraordinary abundance. Leading, mercy showing. These are these people that just, you know, are full of compassion, wisdom, knowledge, faith. These are still supernatural gifts, but they don't look so supernatural. You may have any one or a couple of these, and you may not even be aware that it's supernatural at all, but it is. It is. And that's part of your core identity. And that ought to factor into your decisions. For example, if you, if you have a teaching gift, uh, because I have a teaching gift, I, I make decisions about the way I use my time very carefully. The apostles modeled that in Scripture. There was a whole, a whole lot of things they needed to do. The church was exploding with growth, and there was all this busy work. And they said, guys, we're, we're not going to be able to do that. You've got to find something amongst yourself. I've got to stay focused on this teaching thing that God's called me to do. We all have differing gifts. Remember that. So once we assess our gifts and our core identity, our temperament type, and so forth, it just helps us to make better decisions and to know what's actually good for us. All right, a lot to take in, like I said. Let me share one last scripture that shows how vitally important this is, this assessment on our part. Jesus said these words. He said, when someone has been given, what does it say? Much. When someone has been given much, much will be what? Required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with what? Much, even more will be required. So Jesus is saying, listen, 
if you've been given a lot of rich experiences and talents and abilities and knowledge and spiritual gifts and all these kinds of things, God's going to expect you to use it. It's part of your calling. It's who you are. And if you've been given little in those areas, don't envy anybody. Don't hate life. Just be faithful with what you've been entrusted with. Because God's going to judge you and I, not, not on the basis of our gifts. He's going to judge us on the basis of how faithfully we've used them or our experiences and so forth. So it's really important that we get a grip on this because it's an easy thing to get well done from God. It just means being faithful with what we have, not with what we don't have. And that helps us when we face decisions. Now, there was a, a study done uh, recently. This, this same guy that I quoted earlier, David Brooks, was um, aware of this study. They, they took college students, a bunch of American colleges, like 100 or 1,000, I can't remember which, American students and Japanese students. And they asked them all the same questions. Uh, the questions were this. They said, look, here's a sheet of paper, fill it out. Write down on the sheet of paper all the decisions that you want to make for yourself, okay? So the Americans, man, they filled out one whole sheet of paper. And they were told to write on the backside decisions they don't want anyone uh, or that they don't want to make, but they want someone else to make for them. Americans wrote one decision on the other side of the sheet where they wanted someone else to make the decision for them. You want to know what it was? When they would die. They didn't want to make that decision. They wanted someone else to make it. Now, the Japanese were asked to do the same thing, these Japanese college students. And here's what was interesting about this study. The Japanese college students had almost nothing on the front side. In other words, the Japanese students did not want to make any decisions for the most part for themselves. They literally, literally wanted somebody to tell them what to wear, when to get up, what to eat, what kind of studies to go into, what kind of vocation, marry, get married, have kids, don't have kids, how many kids. They wanted someone else to make virtually every decision for them. The Americans were just the opposite. They didn't want anybody making decisions for them. Here's the conclusion of this that uh, David Brooks gives. He says, Americans now have more choices over more things than any other culture in human history. We choose between a broader array of foods, media resources, lifestyles, and identities. In some ways, this is a positive trend, but Brooks also cautions that it is becoming incredibly important to learn to decide what? Well, more choices, more abilities to do what's good for us and what's not good for us. Now, here's what I was getting at with this particular study with these students. I've been a follower of Christ now for 44 years. I've been around God's people for a long time. Longer than most of you have ever even lived, probably. And one of the interesting things to me that I've seen through the years is the notion of decisions and how we as Christians go about decisions. And, and there's a large group of Christians, and, and maybe we all go through this period, I don't know, where when we approach a decision, we are like those Japanese students. We say, oh God, oh God, I don't, I don't want my will, I just want yours to be done. And that's good, that, that's where we should start. And, but, but we go further, oh God, I, I don't want to make this decision, you make it, you make it God. I, I don't want to make it at all, you make it. And then we look for God to literally make the decision, you know, to give us a sign or, or just force an issue or something like that. And we think that's being spiritual. In fact, we believe the more that God just tells us exactly what to do, put on, Randy, the, put on the black socks, man. Don't put on the red socks. Thank you for asking me, son. You know, that we think that's God's model and ideal of spirituality. How many of you have children in this room? Let me ask you a question. How many have kids? Let's see your hands. 
okay? How many of you went through that stage with your kids when they were little and they would come to you, mom, dad, you know, mom, dad, can I have a snack? Yeah, you can have a snack. Mom, dad, what time should I get up? Oh, you know, I'm Seth. Well, mom, dad, should I brush my teeth? You know, and, and you, you told them everything. They asked your permission for everything and you told them what to do. How many remember those days? And they actually did it. <laughs> but would you still want that? Would you want your 30-year-old daughter calling you up, Mom, can I have a snack? <laughs> I, I, I mean, because that's the model we Christians have adopted. We think we, we are supposed to badger heaven about every minute. Oh, God. I surrender my life to you. Do I buy the blue car or the red one? Oh, God, I, I lay my all on the altar. You know, your will be done. And, and I'm thinking like Gabriel and the angels are up here saying, like, get, get, get a load of this guy. Doesn't, doesn't he know he can buy either one? He just needs to make a choice. Listen, I'm not saying that it's not a good thing to have a yielded heart, of course. But God does not want to make decisions for us, and he won't. Maybe when we're infant Christians, maybe. But he will, not, he will not coddle that in us because he wants us to grow up and develop and make our own decisions because we know his heart and we know his mind and we know his word and we know his will and we know his ways and we love him and we love his will and we love his kingdom. And we're mature sons and daughters that know just what dad wants to do on this earth and we get at it. You say, Randy, can you pin that to at least one scripture? That's a pretty big claim because I've been thinking, you know, that model of, oh God, you make the decision for me looks pretty spiritual to me. Let me share a verse with you. Paul writing to followers of Christ living in Thessalonica. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. We talked about that, our identity and calling. And that by his power, notice it's his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of whose? Yours. Not God's, yours. Yours. That he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every prompted by whose faith your faith that's what God wants he wants mature sons and daughters that they know his heart they know his words so well that we we innovate we initiate we are creative as we strategize and we seek to win those that are apart from God and build up those that have been brought back and serve in our families and in our communities and all these ways he wants our creativity unleashed he wants us to be mature decision makers he will supply the power for our good purposes and our acts prompted by our faith our trust in him this notion of passivity is not spiritual maturity God wants actively developed sons and daughters that learn his ways. Let me share this grid with you that I've shared each week in this series one last time. This one is one you should copy down because it'll help you with, with decisions and knowing what's good for you and what's not good for you and all those areas of life that you and I inevitably face. Whatever, whatever draws me closer to Christ my creator and moves me to live in accordance with his word, his will, and his ways, that's good for me. It might be a bad set of circumstances that I hate, but if it moves me to do that, then it's good for me. Whatever draws me away from Christ, my creator, and keeps me from living in accordance with his word, will, and ways is not good for me. It might be the sweet thing that I wanted, but it causes me to drift, and I'm not putting in the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, the, the availability. I don't have the heart anymore to serve God or to get in his word. Then that thing that I thought was good for me because it's just what I wanted, it's actually not good for me. So this is the grid if we want to be real about this thing. 
of what's good for us or what's not good for us. Now I'm gonna very quickly give you a few more principles. And these principles are like channel markers to help us when we just can't get clarity on a decision. You ever been there? We're saying, oh, I'm just not sure, God, if this is your will or not. And you're kind of trying to figure it out. All right, here we go quickly. Some principles. And we're asking this question. How does this line up with other God-given principles for guidance, this decision that I'm pondering? First of all, what does God say in his word about it? All scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Maybe the decision that you and I are facing, there's already clear scripture says do it or don't do it. I find that maybe 90 or more percent of the things in my life, scripture has already spoken about it or some scriptural principle. For example, a principle in scripture like it says in Proverbs in several places, hey, you see an angry person, don't hang out with them because it'll rub off on you. You'll get yourself in trouble. That's a principle, you know. It can sometimes guide us into decision making all right another another passage revelation 3 last book of the bible jesus speaking he says I, he's writing to a church called the church of philadelphia he says i know what you've been doing look i have put in front of you in what open door an open door no one can shut it you may you you have only a little strength but you have obeyed my word and have not denied my name what does it mean an open door paul talks about the same concept first corinthians 69 there's an amazing door of opportunity standing wide open for me to what minister serve expand the kingdom of god even though there are many who oppose and stand against me so an open door is there an opportunity here to expand the kingdom of god to do good to be who he wants me to be to do what he wants me to do open door that's, that's another way we can uh, look for God's guidance in decisions. Colossians 3.15. The peace of God. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be, con- be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace indeed you were called as members in one body of believers and be thankful to God. Sometimes we, we just, we've, we're trying to line up as many things. We've consulted our core identity and our gifting and, and we're looking at different things, but we still just don't have peace about it. Don't confuse that with a lack of courage. <laughs> God often calls us to things we're scared to do, okay? But there's, there's a difference between being afraid of the challenge and trust, having to trust God to go through it courageously and having a lack of peace inside about it. So you can't put your finger on it. Something just doesn't feel comfortable to go forward. That's another way we can make our decisions and have God's guidance. One last one. A wise man, a wise man, a wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding will attain what? Wise counsel. Wise counsel in scripture, it is always talking about individuals that have become absorbed with God's truth and God's word. They, they've internalized it. They are walking with God, living in accord with his word, will, and ways they have experienced in life. They know how to help others understand the principles of God's word and how to apply it to life situations. They are objective. They are the people that will tell you the truth, even though it may not be what you or I want to hear. Wise counsel. It's very important when we're still trying to figure which way to go on a decision. Not your friends for the most part. Because your friends are pretty much going to say to you and I whatever we want to, want to, want to hear. You know what I mean? They just kind of figure, well, what do you, what do you want to do, Randy? What, what do you want to hear? Wise counsel will tell us the truth, be objective. And that helps us. Now, 
Here's, here's what I've tried to establish. If you look at this picture, this is a channel. So imagine you have a boat and you're concerned the bottom scraping, you know, because the, it's a heavy boat, let's say. And you know that in the channel, though, the water is deep enough. So to safely come in there, you have to line up all these channel markers. What I've just given you is a set of channel markers that when we're pondering decisions that we can't seem to get clarity, you can't just pick one of these principles. You know, if you just pick like the open door and go with that, you're not going to be on safe ground. Or if you just pick the peace of God and go with that, not safe ground. But let them all line up. So here's what it would look like. Divine channel markers. First, consult your identity and calling. Remember, that's that whole first part. This is why you need to go back and rewatch the message. Second, what is God saying his word about this? Is there, an, is there an open door? Do I have God's peace? Have I consulted wise counsel? When we're not sure about the decision and when you know it might be a long uh, long-term, long-impact decision, these are the kind of things you want to have lined up before you, you launch and make that decision. All right. Um, let me close with um, a story from a guy's life named Os Guinness, O.S. Guinness. He's a brilliant guy. He lives in the McLean, Virginia area. He's, uh, I think, 77 years old right now. He, uh, he's written probably over 30 Christian books. Brilliant, brilliant guy. He, uh, he's serves at a center for Christian apologetics. Apologetics are proving that the truths that Christianity comes from are, are believable and trustworthy and credible and so forth. Anyway, uh, Oskinis tells this story about his own life. He, he was raised by missionary parents in China. And so he was born in 1941 and uh, lived in China as a missionary kid, you know, during the early parts of World War II and, and through most of World War II. So Things became so dangerous in China as World War II was coming to a conclusion and the communist power was rising up in China uh, that his parents sent him to a boarding school and he was five years old. I mean, he had never been away from home, never been away from his parents, and he's sent away in a boarding school, you know, which is a terrifying thing for a young child. But he said that before his parents sent him off, missionary parents, uh, they sat him down and they said, you know, we, we want to give you something, son, something that we've had that we've kept with us. And, and here's what it turned out to be. It wasn't that many stones, but it was two. Mom had one stone and dad had one stone. It was a flat stone, very similar to that. And here's what they had written on those stones. Followers of Jesus are called, written on dad's stone was these two words, found faithful written on mom's stone please him you put it together followers of jesus are called to be found faithful and to please him always everywhere and in spite of everyone and everything and they gave little us guinness these stones and this guy has followed christ fearlessly boldly faithfully ever since and he's a tremendous impact player for the kingdom of god be faithful and please him. If we have that in our pockets anchoring us when we make our decisions, that above all, I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful always. And I want to please him because when I please God, I'm living according to my design. I'm going to be a blessing to everybody else in my life. I'm going to please everyone else to their good and I'm going to be blessed and please myself. So, Let's close this with considering something that we mentioned early. It's about decisions, this message. The most critical decision that every human being faces on this experience we call life is do I want to be reconciled to God or not? Not all of us do. 
God waits. He proves himself trustworthy. He seeks us. He pursues us. He reveals himself in Christ, the mighty creator of the universe and the loving sacrifice, the one that dies for us on the cross, offering forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. But he waits for us to turn back to him and trust. The most important decision any of us ever faces is that one. And so I've got to ask you, even though I know that most of you probably have, have you made your decision to put your trust in Christ? And are you now his follower? That's number one. Number two, if you have and if you are, if you have made your decision and you are a follower of Christ, how's it going with your decision-making process? Is it possible that this rather complex, rather fastly put together process, if you were to take it, study it, uh, write some things out, maybe there are some huge decisions you're facing right now that you would decide differently than the way you're about to make your decision right now. Some of you are saying, Randy, you don't know what you're asking me to do, man, because I already got a plan in place, and you're asking me to, to maybe throw that plan away because I have a hunch it might not align. You know, the God who loves us and wants our good only wants to help us along the way. What if we all, at least all of us that think we need it or could use it, take this message, and like I say, rewatch it again, get some, get some ink and pan, paper and, and write some notes, and put together our own system for making better decisions that will be good for us, as well as everybody that comes into contact with us. Let's pray. Father, you know us that we get in pockets and places in life where we honestly don't want to know what your will is. We don't want to do your will, even though we may trust you. We've got to learn things the hard way. I certainly have. Uh, we pray that you'll, you'll grab a hold of our hearts. We don't get many moments like this that you can stop us in our tracks and get us to think. You know how busy we'll be when we leave these doors. May your spirit stir our hearts, bring this to our remembrance that, that maybe we learn how to be better decision makers that will honor you, bless ourselves, and bless others. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.